So I'm told that you're in a series on the parables of Jesus, and I'm kind of jumping in here in the middle of that. Um, and as, as you may have been told by um, others preaching on the, in this series, that parables aren't just quaint little images, right, that Jesus uses to sort of illustrate ideas. Rather, parables are truth bombs. They are jam-packed, full of significance. And in this particular group of parables, if you were to read the whole chapter of Matthew 13, Jesus has a kind of a broad theme here, which is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's focused on for the whole chapter. And if you've been around church for a while, uh, maybe you're familiar with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, but it's kind of an odd, abstract-sounding phrase, isn't it? But what Jesus is talking about when he says kingdom of heaven, he's talking about reality itself, right? He's talking about the nature of God's world, of God's kingdom. So Jesus telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like is like telling a fish what water is, right? Jesus telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like is like Morpheus telling Neo about the matrix. He's telling him about the real world that's all around him. This is how things really work. And so the main point about that reality that Jesus is trying to make in in these two little parables is how in God's kingdom transformation can happen. That's his, that's his point here uh, in these verses. He talks about how a tiny little seed can grow into a huge tree, right? How a little bit of leaven can transform this massive amount of flour. And so for anyone who would like to see change or growth in themselves or growth or change in the world around them, then our ears should perk up when Jesus talks about this, right? He's giving us the roadmap for how change works in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to explore this under three points. We'll see the process of change or how transformation happens in the kingdom of heaven, the purpose of change or what the goal of transformation is, and finally, we'll see the person of change or the one who ultimately brings this transformation about. So the process, the purpose, the purpose and the person of change. So the process of change, first of all. How does change really happen? How can we change or grow? How can we change ourselves? How can we change the world, right? This is a big question, but it's one that we're asking all the time. It's one that's being asked constantly in the culture around us. I think for most of us, certainly myself included, if we were, to, if we were asked for sort of a strategy on how to start a great mission, right, to go out and change the world, I think our imaginations are usually shaped by the logic of the world, not by the logic of the kingdom of heaven. We would probably start with, well, we need more power, we need more money, we need more influence to bring about change. We need to move fast and we need to build big. We need to gather all the cultural insiders and the important people. We need new technologies and new ideas, right? We need to build the tower higher. I'm not saying that these methods won't work. You can look around and see that oftentimes These methods do work, but the point here is that this is not the process of change in the kingdom of heaven. So let's look more closely at verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. And skip to verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in flour. So what do these images have in common? Well, first, we see that they're small, right? They're very humble objects. 
a tiny seed, a little bit of leaven. So we begin to see that change in the kingdom of heaven starts small. Second, we notice that they work slowly. Seed doesn't grow into a tree immediately. And when you mix leaven into flour, if you're hungry, you have to wait for an uncomfortably long time, right? Kingdom, growth in the kingdom of heaven requires patience because it's slow. But then look at our text again, back in verse 32. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. And the same in verse 33, that a little bit of leaven works its way through the entire three measures of flour, which, by the way, is 60 pounds of flour. It's a lot of flour. So while change starts small and moves slowly, it grows into something strong and even something unstoppable. Bear with me. The next time you see uh, walking down a sidewalk and see maybe one that's paved with huge stones, and those stones have seemed to be just effortlessly cast aside by tree roots, think about the fact that that started with a tiny seed. There's something strong and unstoppable about it. And similarly with the leaven, right? I'm not a baker at all, but my understanding is that once leaven is introduced the process of fermentation is also basically unstoppable. So if this is how Jesus is saying that the process of change actually works in his kingdom, small and slow but strong and unstoppable, what does that mean for us, right? What's the point? So let's look at it in two ways. How can we change within ourselves? How does this process work out in us? But also, how can we affect change out in the world, through us, out in the world. So in ourselves, the way that God brings about change in us, it's generally going to start small and it's going to move slowly. And I have to be honest with you that as I spent time mulling over this passage this week, this really frustrated me because there's so many ways that I wish I could be different. So many ways I would like to change. I want to be more patient with my kids I want to be better at managing my time. I want to be more intentional in my marriage and in my friendships. I want to be in better physical shape. I want to see evidence of the kingdom of heaven at work in my life and in my ministry. But I want to be different in those ways right now. Actually, yesterday. I don't want to wait. I, don't, I, I want to just maybe read one book or better listen to one sermon or even better, just learn one simple new principle, right? Or just do one super intense 30-minute workout, and then boom, transformation. And maybe this sounds ridiculous to you, but this is actually how I think a lot of the time. And so it's hard, it's frustrating for me that Jesus asks me to submit myself to a slow and small process, to submit myself to his way of change. And so here's what I think often prevents us from experiencing change in ourselves in the way of the kingdom of heaven. First of all, it's our pride, right? Because we don't understand how deeply we actually need change. And second, it's our impatience and thinking that we can, change can happen quickly, right? We just need a quick fix or a small adjustment. But God delights to see us transformed, doesn't he? We know that he declares us righteous in Jesus. But he wants to also make us righteous day by day through the power of Jesus. He delights in this. 
but we have to slow down and let him do this work. And it takes humility, and it takes a lot of patience. So I think what this means, really, is we have to embrace the basic spiritual disciplines, the seemingly small and slow ways that God has offered to us, which means getting into the Bible every day. It means making regular habits of prayer. It means carving out quality time with a friend or small group of friends who will encourage each other in the gospel. It means coming to church to hear the word, to receive the sacraments. These are the humble and patient means by by which God actually promises that he will bring growth and strength in us over time. This is how the fruit of the Spirit are nurtured in us, right? Another agricultural metaphor. This is where love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control come from their fruit. I did have to look to remember and get all those in order. Remember, this process is not about us becoming good enough for God to reward us with growth. Those are called the means of grace, right? That's why he calls them that, because we need to remember that they're the means of his grace. This is about slowing down to receive good gifts that God is always ready and willing to give. Spiritual disciplines are the daily cups of cold water as we wander in the desert. Um, There's a book called Atomic Habits. It's really, really popular right now um, for good reasons. By James Clear, it kind of talks about this idea. It's not a Christian book. Uh, It's not about spiritual disciplines necessarily, but it is about habit forming. And there's a lot of nuggets of biblical wisdom in it. And he says this, All big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single tiny decision. But as that decision is repeated, a habit sprouts and grows stronger, and roots entrench themselves, and branches grow, and the task of breaking a habit, a bad habit, is like uprooting a powerful oak within us. And the task of building a good habit is like cultivating a delicate flower one day at a time. So if that's how God's process of change works in us, what about how God's process of change might work through us and out into the world? Well, the first thing we see is that God can and will work through our small and slow efforts to bring about change in the world around us. You may not feel like you are worthy enough or strong enough or equipped enough to be used by God for meaningful things. But neither did Abraham, neither did Moses, and neither did Paul when he wrote that God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. See, God is inviting us to participate in the coming kingdom of heaven. And he invites us not despite our weaknesses, but precisely through our weakness. And so what might it look like if we moved into the world equipped with these mighty tools of humility and patience? The God-centered tools, right? Rather than the self-centered pride and hurry that's so often our default mode. What if we actually trusted that small acts of faithfulness could yield beautiful fruit over time? How might you think about evangelism differently? How might you talk to your neighbors differently? How might you run your business differently? And perhaps most importantly, how might you raise your children differently? 
If we want evidence that this is precisely how God brings about change through us and then out into the world, we just need to look at the global church. It's estimated that in the last 40 years, the church in China has gone from around 1 million people to around 100 million people. In the past two decades, the fastest growing church in the world was in a place that will probably surprise you, Iran. And by the year 2050, it's estimated that there will be over 1 billion, with a B, Christians in sub-Saharan Africa alone. These are not the places in the world where Christianity has power and influence and a public voice, but much the opposite, right? These are the precise places in the world where the kingdom of heaven can only grow through the small and slow acts of gathering in living rooms, reading and praying together, often even in secret. And from our human perspective, we might be tempted to think that the kingdom of heaven could never grow in such contexts. And yet what we see is this surprising Strong, unstoppable growth, isn't it? The gospel has taken root in China and in Iran. The leaven has been quietly mixed into the flour, and the process cannot now be stomped out or reversed. I was just reading yesterday about a Kenyan pastor who ministers in the largest slum in Africa, outside of Nairobi. And he said that the gospel is thriving in Africa, but not in the wealthy churches, but in the poor Small churches, often in the churches in the slums. The kingdom of heaven is growing stronger in all of these places against all odds because that's how the process of change works in God's kingdom. Uh, There was an international student from Shanghai, China, who got involved with RUFI. Um, This was not at Vanderbilt, but previously I was doing the same ministry at Columbia University. And uh, just through a simple conversation on the campus quad. I got to know him, and he told me that I was the first Christian he'd ever met. And he was just in a one-year program in the U.S., but throughout that year, we met regularly. We began to read the Bible together. He began to come into our fellowship and make other Christian friends. He even started to come to church with us, and the seed was planted. It started to grow. And at the end of that year, he was actually very close to becoming a Christian, And by God's grace, I was able to connect him to um, a house church in Shanghai when he returned. And a few months later, I had the great privilege of getting to participate in his baptism service over Zoom. And do you know where he got baptized? In secret, in the bathtub of the house church planter's apartment with about a dozen other people crammed in there. Because the process of change in the kingdom of heaven starts small and it moves slowly. But friends, it is strong and it is unstoppable. All right, at this point we have to pause and ask ourselves, what's the purpose of change? What's the end goal of growing? Whether it's personal growth or growth and change out in the world. Because if you look at the most popular self-help books out there right now, which I did on Amazon, most of the phrases you'll see about the purpose or the goal of change are something like this. Change so that you can step into your full potential. Change so that you can gain more power or extend your long-term health or relentlessly self-improve. And none of those things are bad, but we kind of have to keep pushing the logic. What's the point of that? What's the point of that? What's the point of more power 
of better health, of self-improvement. The truth is that the logic of the world, it doesn't have a good answer for this purpose question. So let's take another look at our parables and see what the logic of the kingdom of heaven is. What is the purpose or goal of change and growth? Now, with both the mustard seed and the leaven, we see that they start small, right? They grow into something much bigger, but it doesn't stop there. The point is not just the growth. Verse 32, when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that, what? The birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pause and think about this for a minute. The entire purpose of the long journey of this little seed's life, of being planted in the ground, growing roots, drawing nutrients, sprouting up, getting stronger and bigger, growing branches, is so that the birds of the air could come and make nests in those branches. So what's the purpose of growth? It's to provide a home for those who otherwise don't have a home. It's to provide a place of rest. That's what Jesus is saying. The entire reason that God came into our world and started the small and slow process of planting and growing his kingdom through a person with humility and with patience, waiting for it to become strong and unstoppable, is so that those who don't otherwise have a home would find a place of rest in him. God's promise through this parable is that the growth of his kingdom will not be stopped, but not so that he can flex his God muscles and show off, right? Not so that Christians can brag that our religion is the biggest and the strongest out there. No, God is committed to the growth of his kingdom so that in the end, you and I and even all the nations of the world will have a home and a place to rest so that we can make nests in his branches. It's not growth for growth's sake. It's not strength for strength's sake. It's growth and strength to provide rest for others. That's the purpose of growth. And the leaven adds another layer to this. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. If you don't mind, I'd like for you to geek out with me for a second. I already said I'm not a baker, but I did do a little digging. Um, I've made reference already to the fact that this is a lot of flour, 60 pounds of flour. So let's think about this. For the ancient Near Eastern listener... The original listener, as Jesus is talking to a crowd, right? This is kind of a shocking image. If we translate it into terms we might understand, it's 144 cups of flour. It's a lot of flour. It's enough to make around 50-plus loaves of bread. I even found the blog of a Roman Catholic monk who is also a professional baker. He even has a TV show. I haven't watched it, but his estimate, reading this parable, was that you could make around 416 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with that much bread. But I kept thinking about this. Most scholars agree that Jesus' hometown of Nazareth at the time of his life was around 300 to 500 people, which means that the amount of leavened flour that he's talking about would make almost the exact right amount of bread to feed everyone in his hometown. Now, this is just my hypothesis, but I really think this may have been what was going on in Jesus' imagination as he's telling this parable, right? I think he was picturing his hometown, and he was picturing, okay, how much flour would it take to feed everyone in my village? So what's the point? 
The purpose of transformative change that happens in the kingdom of heaven is not just for our own benefit, to feed ourselves, but it's to feed the whole village, right? In other words, the kingdom of heaven doesn't just provide rest, but it provides nourishment. God is committed to the growth of his kingdom for, providing, for the purpose of providing rest and nourishment for the whole world, the whole village, as it were. That's the goal of the kingdom of heaven. And one day, God's kingdom will so encompass the earth that every tribe and tongue and nation will be rested and nourished in it. And if that's the purpose behind the growth of God's kingdom in general, then it's also the purpose behind our personal growth and change, right? Growth and change is a gift from God. Why does he give us that gift? Again, gaining more personal power or health or self-improvement, those are not bad things. But in the kingdom of heaven, we grow in those ways in service to others. So where is God at work in your life right now, growing you and making you stronger? Maybe you've experienced healing from a traumatic past. Maybe you've finally reached some financial stability in your life. Maybe you've simply experienced a newfound joy in the gospel and in your salvation. What would it look like for you to not only enjoy those gifts of growth, but to deploy those gifts, to turn them into opportunities to provide rest and nourishment for others, to participate in the kingdom, the expansion of the kingdom of heaven and the logic and flow of the kingdom of heaven. And this is where we have to fight against the tendencies of our own hearts as well as the narratives of the world around us because by nature, all of our hearts are bent inward, aren't they? We want to hoard our energy and our money. We fear scarcity. We worry that we won't be taken care of. We prioritize our own self-protection. But God invites us to join the kingdom of heaven, not only to enjoy his gifts, but to deploy them, right? To look outward, not only to experience rest and nourishment in him, but to share it. And so maybe that looks like taking a risk and inviting someone into your life and into your story, into your family life through hospitality. Maybe that looks like being slightly more generous with your money and with your resources than you feel comfortable with. Maybe that looks like having the courage to share with your non-Christian friends and coworkers and family about the joy that you have in the gospel rather than just keeping that to yourself. See, God gives us the gifts of his grace, the word and sacraments and prayer and community, and he grows us and changes us through these gifts and brings the fruit of the Spirit in us, not only so that we can enjoy his rest and nourishment for ourselves, but so that through our growth, God can provide rest and nourishment for others as well, for the whole world. So this brings us to our last point. We've seen the process and the purpose of change in the kingdom of heaven, but we've left something out because you can't talk about a kingdom without talking about its king. If you think about kingdoms, the kingdoms reflect the nature and the values of their king. That's the way it flows and not the other way around. So if we really want to understand what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven here, we have to think about Jesus himself. He's the king. So if we understand him to be at the center of the story, what if we reread the parable in his first-person voice like this? 
I am like a grain of mustard seed, says Jesus, that a man took and sowed in his field. I'm the smallest of all the seeds, but when I have grown, I will be larger than all the garden plants and I will become a tree so that the birds of the air will come and make nests in my branches. You see this, the gospel story here in what he's saying? And I think this is, if you follow one more verse down from what we read in this parable, um, Matthew quotes Psalm 78, and he says that the, the, the truth that's been hidden since the foundation of the world is revealed in these parables. And I think this is part of it, that Jesus is the mustard seed. Jesus is the king who chose the slow and small path so that he could bring about true and lasting change in us and in the world. And although he's God, he came into our world and started small. He was born as a tiny baby, right? And the first 30 years of his life were quiet and unseen, just growing with humility and patience. And I'm so glad I got to be here to experience the baptism this morning. It's so beautiful to think about that small and slow start of God's promises, but it's like leavened bread. It won't stop the growth. That's how the gospel works. And that's how it worked in Jesus' life. But then through his suffering and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, he grew, right? And he became the great, strong, unstoppable tree in which the world would finally find rest and nourishment. Think about some of the other things that Jesus tells us. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He also says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Friends, we are the wandering birds with nowhere to land other than in Jesus himself. He spread out his branches and he welcomes us. Indeed, he welcomes the whole world. And as Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. It's fascinating that if you read in the Old Testament in uh, Daniel 4 and Ezekiel 31, which I wish we had time to read now, the ancient kings, the great kings of both Babylon and Assyria, are also compared to huge trees, even specifically huge trees in which the, nation, the surrounding nations come and find rest in their branches like birds. Except that in both cases, in these ancient prophecies, they also say that because of the arrogance and the oppression of these kings, that the trees will be cut down and their reigns will end. And so when Jesus is saying that his own kingdom is like that of a great tree in which the birds will make their nests, he certainly has these Old Testament prophecies in mind. And what he's saying to us is that the one true king has come whose tree will never be cut down, and he has established his kingdom forever. And like the leaven in the 60 pounds of flour, the process of change in his kingdom has begun, and it is now unstoppable, and it will one day cover the whole earth, not to consume the nations of the world, but to nourish them. There is true rest and nourishment for your soul to be found in the branches of this tree. And until we find it there, we will be like the birds of the air, circling and circling with no place to make a home. And it is in this place where we will experience the most meaningful growth and change in our lives. Not just following the logic of the kingdom of heaven, but learning to follow the king 
himself. So friends, Jesus is inviting us, even now, to come and find rest in him, to make our home in him, to lean upon his strength. So let's abandon our self-help projects of big, fast, and flashy growth, following the logic of the world, following the arrogance and the impatience of our hearts. But let's instead embrace the slow and small way of the king, the way of humility and patience. And may we leave this place today to go out into the world and sow mustard seeds of his kingdom, to hide the leaven in the flower with the great and certain hope that his kingdom will not only nourish our own souls, but will one day nourish the whole world. Let's pray. God, thank you that your promises for greatness, for strength, for progress, they don't start with our greatness and strength and progress. They start with your slow and small ways, that you meet us right where you are. Jesus, you came into our world. You became slow and small so that in you, through your death and resurrection, we might actually be able to experience transformation, forgiveness, salvation, rest, and nourishment. And Lord, we thank you that when we look around the world, we can see that your kingdom is still on the move. That you will not be stopped until the whole world finds rest and nourishment in you. And I ask that you would help us as we try to gain perspective on how we might participate in this. Give us courage, give us clarity, and give us strength to change, not just for ourselves, but for others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.